It'd be helpful if you could have those words from Philippians 4 in front of you, because this morning I'm going to be referring to them as I speak. I want to talk about contentment this morning. Children, do you know what contentment means? Have you come across that word before? A simple definition might be that a person, if they are content, is happy or satisfied with their life, whatever situation they are in. Now, this whole situation that we're in with regards to the coronavirus and the pandemic that has swept across the world has really made contentment difficult to grasp for a lot of people. Because those things that did used to cause us to be happy and content have been taken away from us. Children, just think, what has changed in your life? You can't go to school anymore. You can't go to the park anymore. Your football lessons, your swimming lessons, your dance lessons have all stopped. There's no Sunday school. There's no meeting here at church. You're not allowed to go and see your grandparents. You're cooped up inside with not a lot to do anymore. The coronavirus has really changed the situation for all of us. Adults, I'm sure you feel the same way. How does the Bible say that we can be content in a time like this? How can the Bible tell us that we ought to be content even when we've lost or had restricted those things that brought us so much happiness and joy? The secret of contentment, Paul says. The secret to being content is to know that the riches of knowing Jesus Christ are better by far than any of the riches, than any of the goodness that you can get from the things of this world. The riches of knowing Christ are better than the riches of this world. And if you understand that little truth, then whatever situation you're in, whatever you have lost, whatever difficulty you face, you know that you always have the better thing. If you listened last week, you will remember that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can take away those riches that we have in Christ once we have been given them. And so contentment comes because we know that whatever situation we face, we always have the greater thing. Now, I know this at the moment sounds really quite simplistic. I can almost hear some of you through the camera saying, look, it's all well and good saying it's, it's a lovely thing to know Jesus. But knowing Jesus doesn't get the bills paid, does it? Knowing Jesus doesn't get the kids bathed and fed and put into bed on time. Knowing Jesus doesn't solve the issues in my marriage or relieve the tensions and frustrations in the household. Knowing Jesus doesn't give me satisfaction in my work. Knowing Jesus doesn't stop the boredom from being alone at home for three weeks or possibly six months in a row. How does knowing Jesus really bring contentment? It, once you really start looking at the day-to-day nitty-gritty that we have to face. That's the question. Look, I'm not here to ridicule or downplay those difficulties that you inevitably face in your life, that each one of us face in different ways. I'm not downplaying them. In fact, the Bible affirms our response of frustration and groaning as we deal with those difficulties. But this secret of contentment 
is not just something that I've dreamed up to pass on to you. This secret of contentment comes from the Apostle Paul. And do you know what situation Paul was in when he learnt the secret of contentment? Philippians was written from a prison cell. Yes, Paul was in prison when he learnt the secret of contentment. And the prison that he was in was not like the prisons we have today. Though I'm not saying the prisons are a nice place today, yet at least they treat people humanely. This was a prison in the first century. He would quite literally have been on bread and water if he was lucky. He was chained up to a wall. It's not the sort of place that most people would choose to be. And yet, Paul in that situation says, I have learnt the secret of contentment. Now, if we can pick up the same principles that Paul understands, that lead him to have contentment even in that first century prison cell, don't you think those same truths ought also to have something to say to our situation in 21st century England? So how exactly is knowing Jesus better than the things of the world? That's what I want to think about today. And the answer comes in three parts. Knowing Jesus is more valuable than the things of this world. Knowing Jesus is more dependable than the things of this world. And knowing Jesus is a gift. Those riches are given to us freely. They are not earned. So first, knowing Jesus is more valuable than anything else in the world that we might have or want or seek out. I'm looking at chapter 4, verse 11 here. Paul says to his readers, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learnt to be content, whatever the circumstances. How has he learnt to be content? Well, he doesn't explain exactly his process of becoming content in this letter, but he gives us a lot of clues, a lot of hints. And in chapter 3, which we didn't read, what Paul has done is he's described the differences between his own work and the work of the false teachers, the people who've got false motives. He says those people are working for their stomach. Their God is their stomach, he says. Now, children, think about this. Can you ever fill your stomach? Now, of course, the, the quick answer is yes. But think about it a little bit more. Of course, you can eat until you get really full and you don't want any more. But imagine if this week you said to your mum, right, mum, I want all my week's dinner today. I'm going to eat Monday's dinner, Tuesday's dinner, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday's dinner, all on this Sunday, and it's going to last me all week. Do you think it would work? Do you think you'd manage it? Well, you'd certainly get full. But I tell you what, if you ate your dinner at 1pm, as much as you could possibly fit in your stomach, I reckon by bedtime, you might even be starting to feel hungry again. And certainly by breakfast time tomorrow morning, you would be wanting a little bit more food inside you. We can never fill our stomachs. They're never satisfied. We're always got to keep feeding ourselves little by little, more in, more in. And Paul says, Paul uses this metaphor to describe what these false teachers are looking for. It's not always food. Perhaps it's money or status or power or influence or fame. But as much as they get of those things, they've never got enough. They always want more. How much money is enough money? 
Just a little bit more. How much fame is enough fame? Just a little bit more. And more than that, whatever you have of this world will one day pass away, Paul says. Those things that they're working for, well, chapter 3, verse 9, their destiny is destruction. Their destiny is destruction. On the day that we die and we go to face God before the judgment, what help will all the money in the world be to us? What help will all the fame in the world be to us? What help will the strongest marriages or the most friends or what help will any of it be to us? You know, they've said coronavirus is a great leveller. Boris Johnson has got it. Prince Charles has had it. Tom Hanks has got it. It doesn't discriminate at who, who it attacks. If coronavirus levels us, so also the judgment of God will level us. We won't be judged on that day by what we have or what we've earned or by the treasures of this world that we've managed to accumulate for ourselves. Those things become empty and worthless. But Paul says knowing Jesus has greater value. Knowing Jesus is like it's like a prize. It's like a gold medal. It's like a wreath on your head. It's like a crown. It's a gift that lasts for all of eternity. In fact, knowing Jesus brings us eternal life itself. Eternal life. That is eternal in time. We will never die. That is eternal in quality of life, in goodness. We will live with God, the one who cannot stand evil or wickedness or sin, who drives it out of his presence. It is eternal in love. We will share in the love that the Father has had for the Son for all of eternity through the Spirit. It is eternal in terms of opportunity. We will live in a world where we're able to use our strengths and abilities to their full potential. It is quite simply far better than any life we could possibly carve out for ourselves here on earth. And so Paul's reasoning goes, look, Whatever else I might gain or lose here on earth, whether I'm in plenty or whether I'm in want, whatever I lose, I've never lost that gift of Jesus. I've never lost that promise of eternal life. Because once it's mine, it's mine. Once I am his, I belong to him. The value of knowing Jesus far outpasses any other things in this world. Children, imagine... If this summer you go on a, a holiday to the seaside and you're at your tent or your, your hotel or your, your cottage or whatever and your dad says, right, we're going to go to the beach today. And so you all pile in the car, you've got your bucket and spade, you've got your swimming suit, you've got your rubber ring, you've got your sunglasses and you drive down to the beach and you get to the car park and your dad gets out and he pulls out the rug and lays it down there in the car park. And he pulls out his deck chair and sits down. And your dad just looks like he's stopping there in the car park. You say, Dad, what are you doing out? We're going to the beach. It's, it's just down there. And your dad says, why do you want to go to the beach? The sun shines here. I'm getting a tan. It's lovely. Just sit down. And you say, but Dad, we want, to, we want to dig a sandcastle. And he says, well, there's some dirt on the floor. Can't you use the mud there? You can make a sandcastle out of that. And you say, but Dad, we wanted to go swimming in the sea. And he says, well, there's some puddles over there. Go and paddle in there. No problem. Would he be impressed? Of course he wouldn't. The car park is absolutely nothing compared to the joy and the goodness and the excitement that there is at the beach. You know, 
the things of this world, the money, the fame, the relationships, the food, whatever else it might be, they are good. They can be enjoyable. But they are nothing compared to the eternal life that we are promised by Jesus Christ. Knowing Jesus is more valuable then than the things of this world. But secondly, knowing Jesus is more dependable. I recognise that for many of you, perhaps many of you grown-ups, the difficulty with being content is not so much recognising the value of the promises you have in Christ. You know that you're headed for a better place. You know those promises and you love them. You long for the day that Christ returns. You long for the day you will be taken to be with him in glory. But in the day-to-day grind of life, sometimes that hope can, can seem to have so little bearing on what we're actually doing and what we're going through. A bit like a, a teenager, for example, might know the, the opportunity and the reward that will come to him if he passes his exams. But knowing what will come is still not quite enough to get him off of his video games to start studying. Knowing there's something better doesn't necessarily ease your discontent in the day-to-day. But for Paul in Philippians, Paul says knowing Jesus isn't just a case of having something better to look forward to. Knowing Jesus has an effect for the here and now. It gives us strength for each and every day. I'm looking at chapter 4, verse 13. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Typically, when people reach a point of discontentment in their lives, when they are unhappy with what they have, they will look to some source of strength to help them through. And this strength can come from all sorts of places, and often they are reasonably effective. Uh, Somebody might look to money, for example. Having money in the bank can be a source of strength. The Bible itself says, look, just think, how many problems could be solved if you just had a little bit more money in your hand? Money can be a source of strength. And yet, sometimes that money runs out. Or sometimes the money is stolen. Or sometimes the means of acquiring more money is gone. Or sometimes there's just more problems than you have money available to you. And so the strength that money offers is unreliable or intermittent at best. Sometimes having a strong marriage or good friendships can be a source of strength. Perhaps there is no more intimate relationship that two human beings will share than the relationship between a husband and a wife in a strong marriage. And many people think, if I just had that strength, that strong marriage, things would be better. I would be able to pull through. But you know, even those who are married, not everyone has a strong marriage. It's difficult to achieve that sort of trust and and commitment to one another, even in a married relationship. And even those with strong marriages that are sources of strength will tell you that it's not like that every day. And it's difficult to achieve. And there have been times in their life where their marriage hasn't been as strong. Even that source of strength is unreliable or intermittent. Having a satisfying job can be a source of strength. It gives you purpose and and value in your life. It makes you feel like you're contributing something to society and the world around you. It gives you something to get out of bed for in the morning. But again, the jobs that look good on paper 
are often quite different when we get into them. The teams are difficult to work with. There's always those awkward people in the office. Or perhaps there's some days where we're just not able to perform as we would wish. And rather than feeling like we're achieving, we are underachieving. We're letting the side down. We're letting ourselves down. And you know, for Paul, for Paul, it's exactly the same. There were other sources of strength that he might have relied upon. Gifts from the churches, companionship, friends. But those gifts from the churches came and went. Those friends, some of them turned out to be more like enemies. The fruit of his labours would vary hugely depending on whether he was free to go and preach or whether he was locked up in prison. And so these other sources of strength are intermittent at best, unreliable. But in verse 13, he says, I can do everything through him, through Jesus, the one who gives me strength day by day. Whatever situation Paul is in, he knows Jesus is right there alongside him, providing him with the strength to carry on. Jesus gives him peace, peace that passes all understanding. We read about that at the beginning of the passage. Jesus gives him love for those around him. Jesus works in his heart to change his to change his attitudes towards others. Without Jesus doing that work, Paul would remain indifferent, cold. Wisdom belongs to Paul, a result of being under the influence and guidance of the words of Jesus. Paul has satisfaction in his life, knowing that the work that he's trying to achieve is not actually his own work. It's the work of God that God is doing through him. Paul has companionship and comfort and care through an ever-present God. Children, have you ever had a new torch for your birthday or Christmas? And when you get the new torch, what do you do with it? You, you go into your bedroom, turn off the lights, close the curtains, and you shine it around. And it looks fantastic. It's got fresh new batteries in, a nice new bulb, a nice clear lens, and the light just fills up the room. You can point it at the ceiling, under your bed, behind your wardrobe. It just lights up everywhere. It feels like it's really powerful and helpful. But then if you took that same torch outside during the daytime and compared it to the power of the sun, well, you shine your torch on the floor in front of you. And when the sun's shining, you can't even tell that the torch is switched on. You've got to point the torch in your eye to see whether it's even giving out any light at all. You know, in a similar way, there are all sorts of things in life that can seem to be really helpful to us and can seem for a time to provide relief from the darkness and difficulty that is around them. But compared to the relief that Jesus gives, they pale into insignificance. They are intermittent, unreliable and undependable. Whereas the strength that Jesus gives is dependable. It's consistent. It's given. It's always there, ready for you to draw. And the third reason that knowing Jesus is better than anything this world has to offer is because the riches and the benefits that come from knowing Jesus are given as a gift. They are not earned. I'm looking at chapter 4, verse 19 now, where Paul says something really quite surprising. He's been writing to the Philippians and saying, thank you very much for sending me the, the money that you've sent. It's been a real help. Uh, it's a help to me. It's a pleasing thing to God that you've done. And 
Paul says, just like you have provided for me, verse 19, my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. How can Paul so confidently say that God will meet all the needs of the Philippians? His reasoning goes like this. Just think for a minute about what God has given you. Think about those promises he's given you of eternal life. Think about the way he has forgiven your sins. Think about the way he's invited you to be one of his children and brought you into his family. Think about the way he's wiped the guilt away from your conscience. Now, what did it cost God to give those things? Children, do you know the answer? What did it cost God to give his people eternal life? Now, you might think, well, nothing, surely. God doesn't deal in money. God can do anything he wants, can't he? But you'd be wrong. It did cost God. It cost God the life of his own son. Jesus had to come to earth, live as a human and die. Though Though he didn't deserve death, he'd done nothing wrong. And not only did he die, he died under the anger and judgment and punishment of God. That should have been landing on me and that should have been landing on you, that should have been landing on us. Instead, it landed upon Jesus. That's what it cost God to forgive us. It cost him his own son. That's quite a cost, wouldn't you say? Now, Paul's thinking goes like this. He says, if God is willing to pay the price to provide you with all those blessings, those those most powerful blessings, the best things, forgiveness, eternal life, being his children. If God is able to pay the price for those things, won't he also pay the price for the, the lesser things? If God loves you enough to save you, doesn't he also love you enough to feed you? If God loves you enough to die for you, doesn't he also love you enough to give you contentment in life? If God loves you enough to call you his child, doesn't he also love you enough to teach you what it means to live as his children? Of course he does. Of course he does. And and Paul's reasoning is, just like God has supplied my every need, so he will also supply your every need. I know he will, because he's given me my greatest need. And if he's given me my greatest, he will also give me my lesser needs. Children, can you imagine a mother, a a pregnant mother, okay? They've got the baby in their tummy, and they go off to hospital one day, and it's time for the baby to be delivered. And when the baby is born, the nurse picks up the baby and hands it to the mother and says, "Uh, Madam, here is your newborn baby boy. And the mother says, oh, thank you very much. Um, Just one point to note, please. Um, I'm happy to feed him, but I won't be changing his nappies. I'm just not into doing that. Or I'm happy to take him into my home, but I hope he's brought his own clothes with him. I, I can't really be providing him with all his clothes. Can you imagine if that would happen? Do you think it would happen? Of course it wouldn't. When a parent, when a mother and a father decide to have a child, they commit to bringing that child into their family and doing everything that that newborn baby needs for it. In the same way, when God brings you into his family, 
he commits not only to saving you, but also to doing all that you need. Not everything you want, but everything you need. So that doesn't mean you'll never be in difficulty or you'll never be in trouble. But it does mean that whatever trouble you are facing, God is using for your good, to provide for you, to help you, to prepare you. Now, remember those sources of strength that I mentioned earlier that people often look to. The the money or the health or the family or the job security or whatever else it might be. How does a person, if they want those sorts of strength, how does a person get hold of them? Well, my reasoning is that they've, they've got to work for them. You've got to work hard to get the money in the bank. You've got to work hard to get a wife. You've got to work hard to get the right job that satisfies you. And then once you've got those things, you've got to work hard at keeping them. You've got to work hard. And those things can be lost so quickly. One day, one moment, one rash decision, and they can be lost. And I don't necessarily mean lost forever, like, oh, all my money's disappeared. But they can, they can be just out of reach. And certainly the strength and the contentment that they promised can be lost in a moment. So, for example, you spend your money one week on a little bit of a luxury for yourself without realising that the next week is coming a big bill that you weren't expecting. All of a sudden, your month's budget is blown out the window. You're plunged back into discontent, wishing for just a little bit more money to solve your problems. Or you're running late in the morning and you get annoyed at your husband or your wife. And so your relationship, because of that moment of foolishness, becomes cold and difficult for the rest of the day. It doesn't provide you with the support that you would have hoped for. You make a mistake in your job at work. And now rather than feeling satisfied and productive, you feel like a failure. You feel embarrassed of yourself. It's so easy to make small, silly mistakes that that cost us any of that contentment that we might have managed to build up in those other things. Thrown straight out the window and you're left patching things together as, as best you can. But you know, the status that God gives to us as his children is not something that is earned or deserved. It's not something that we have to work in order to keep. You are not performance managed into the kingdom of God. You are welcomed with open arms. You are welcomed with grace and forgiveness. You are welcomed warts and all. God says, whatever you are, whatever you have to work with, my spirit will begin its work. And it will complete that work and it will keep working with you and for you and in you and through you. And so all those promises that God gives, the promise of eternal life, the promise of certainty and hope in the future, the promise of peace and purpose. They they aren't pushed out of reach with every silly little mistake that we make. Those promises are certain and secure. They are ours to keep whatever situation we find ourselves in. And so that leads me to ask this morning, are you one of his children? Are you one of the children of God who have received these promises from Jesus? Are you one of those who knows Jesus? Not just knows about him, not just knows details of him, not just calls yourself a Christian, but somebody who is trusting him. 
somebody who is sat in his wheelbarrow, as it were, who has their whole lives directed by him. Someone who sits under the total control of his words for every aspect of their daily lives. Are you someone who is recognisable to others as a follower of Jesus? By the way you live, by your involvement in a church. And how are you hoping that God will accept you? Is it because of things you've done that you may not be able to offer to him? Is it because of your abilities and, and your goodness that you say, I've been good enough? If that's what you're hoping for, you're hoping in the wrong thing and you're certainly not trusting in Jesus. The only way God will accept us is if we offer the work of Christ on our behalf. Trust Jesus. Trust him. Follow him with all of your life. The contentment to be had from knowing Christ really is better than those things that the world can offer. It's more valuable. It's more dependable. And they're given, not earned.